Hi, and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, here, of course, for our great podcast partners, CSCG. And it's uh, come to that sort of end of the year time when maybe you're thinking about uh, what the year looks for you financially in uh, in 2022. Well, if you need to, uh, talk to someone. Uh, CSCG are those people. Give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three. That's their number. Jump on the website. Have a look at the services they have on offer. Have a look at uh, what they can do for you, the people you'll be dealing with. It's cscg.com.au. Never been a better time to talk to them than right now. Our guest this week on the Authorised Podcast is a man who's probably better known to you as an actor and a playwright. His name, of course, is Brendan Cowell. Uh, his second book is called Plum. Now, I must admit, I'm a fan of Brendan's, and you probably are too, uh, from his acting work in uh, series like Love My Way. He played Tom in that. He actually wrote eight of those episodes uh, for Love My Way as well. He had a short stint in uh, Game of Thrones. He also, you've seen him as... Rod Marsh in the How's That series, so he's a very familiar face and I have been a fan of his acting work for a while and his writing work in terms of uh, the work he's done for television and the screen and also uh, the plays that he's written. And now I'm a fan of his uh, writing as an author. Uh, His second novel is called Plum, a really interesting story, really interesting characters. So let's not muck around. Let's talk to Brendan Cowell. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for, um, yeah, your interest in it. Now, you mentioned a couple of little interviews and stuff I've seen where the characters are kind of based on on personal experiences and people do like a, you know, a composite of all those. Your dad's in, in sort of plum somewhere in, in, the main, in the main character? Oh, you know, I guess that there would be a kind of potpourri of the men in my life in the men in this book, you know, but I definitely didn't put a chart up of, you know, my father's head and my uncle, you know, like it's just, um, you know, my experiences and it's a book about fathers and sons in a lot of ways. But, you know, my uncle, my uncle Tony works at the airport lugging lugging planes out. He he was in baggage and then he ended up lugging planes out. So it's based on kind of his job and a lot of footy players go and work for Qantas at the time because it's a physical job. It's very simple. And it's out of the limelight. So I kind of chose that and I work with my uncle and to get it, you know, really precise. But I guess, yeah, just that um that classic Australian male was was what I drew on and and what blokes do when life comes knocking on the door with bad news, you know, can they reach out to each other? Are there are there friends from the tavern and the punting club? Are they there or is it all bullshit? You know, and I pose those questions in the book. And beautifully done too, because I I spot you a few years, but uh, that that's the kind of collective uh, group of male friends that I have are exactly like that, and that and we're exactly like the ones in the book. Yeah, that's what that's been the feedback is that you can almost take magic mad brick wall squeaky and Peter, and just kind of put them in any tavern across Australia, and you'll find those blokes, and they love each other, and they have the best banter. Um, and they love nothing more than sinking schooners and getting on the punt with each other. But, yeah, their lives beyond the facade of happiness in the tavern uh, are not going as well as they may seem. There's one with, you know, um, some health issues. There's one that always wants to hit it a little bit harder. Um, you know, there's one that's got a bit of jealousies. one's got a bit of sexuality. There's one that's got, a, you know, some financial issues with the gambling and, mm. you know, and... They probably get together to to uh, forget about all that stuff. So what I say is, when Peter Lum turns around and goes, "I want, I need to change," 
I'm really scared and I think I love poetry. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> what, what do your Aussie mates do? Yeah, 49-year-old former rugby league, you know, superstar played state of origin, all that sort of stuff, turns around and goes, I like poetry. It's, it's like the ad that's on at the moment where the bloke goes, I really don't like beer. Yes, exactly. Well, it's a coming out story yeah. in a lot of ways. And, you know, change change doesn't hurt, but resistance to change hurts. And for a bloke like Peter Lum to get news that if he doesn't change his life, it might be dementia or death, it, you know, it, all he's known is one way, which is to hit the piss, train hard, you know, solve things through sheer force, mm. you know, and, and that's what's cost him in relationships with women as well. He hasn't been able to acquiesce and soften. And doing that, it, there's a level of embarrassment in place for a man because, you know, as we know on the footy field, in all codes of footy, breaking your jaw and playing on has always been the idea of toughness. And now there's this new model of toughness coming out that I'm a fan of, which is putting your hand up and reaching out. You know, I've got a problem with the piss. I'm a hundred grand in the hole. Um, me and the missus are having troubles. I got a bad reading at the doctor and my heart rate's up, you know. So I, I think what I'm suggesting is that you can be the tough bloke on the field and you can drink more beers than everyone. And yes, that makes you very tough. Well done. But it's also tough to admit you're frightened and it's also okay. Um, and that's kind of the journey that Peter Lum goes on. And these dead poets come out of the woodwork to help him. <laughs> yeah. Is all the poetry in the book, is that is that yours? Is, you know, like the um, the one I was reading uh, the other day, uh, the old swap poem uh, that, that Bridget reads in the, in the club. Is that, I mean, these are all, all poems that you've had that you wrote specifically for the book or that you've had in notebooks hanging around the house, that you, stuff that you've written previously? <laughs> Oh, no, it's a great question. I, I haven't had that question before. It's interesting because, yes, What With Me, Swap With You is a poem that a, a British girl delivers uh, and she's in a wheelchair and um, she had an accident when she was younger. And Peter l- later finds out about as they form a friendship because he learns to form friendships with women through mm. this book. What a notion. Um, <laughs> and I actually saw a similar poem when I was in New York, uh, a girl in a wheelchair do a swap with me, I'll swap with you, and and it was about how we all share the same amount of pain and that pain, you know, I, you can have my pain, I'll have your pain, it's the same, let's share it. And and he's just had a suicide attempt at this point, so when he sees it he's kind of like he's flooded with tears and that's what poetry does. That's why we read poems at weddings and funerals, uh, you know, and Anzac Day, you know what I mean? Like that suddenly we want to make sense of the world. What do we do? We read a poem and it just kills Peter and it kicks off his love for it. But, no, all the, all the poems in, in the book I wrote uh, during during the writing of the book and, and um, they're all original. The only poem that isn't original is a Brendan Cowell poem that a character at the end of the book might perform that might be Brendan Cowell. So, you know, I actually put myself in my own book um, if you can spot it. So, But other than that, yeah, I I wrote every word of it. Um, Every word in the book is original, yeah. Was it it a book that came easily to you or was it a book that that, uh, you agonised over parts of it? Because there's a vulnerability for you in this in in talking about the, the Australian male as we know it so lovingly. Yeah, and I think... 
I think I probably made a choice a while back that I'm more of an artist than I am an actor, you know, and I, I have to give over myself um, to make good art. I have to reveal my own life, my own fears, and it doesn't really worry me anymore. If If me sharing, you know, the issues that I have and the thoughts that I have can help um, tell a story and can help other men, women, then it's worth it. That's my that's my job. But, yeah, I, I was in lockdown in London for five months of last year. I got the coronavirus. I had a heartbreak. I was probably the saddest I've ever been. Um, I was recent, you know, I was about six months off the drink. I was like, where, what's going to happen? Where's my life taking me? And Peter Lum kind of came to me, this idea of, you know, how poetry saved me as a young man. I thought, who's the last man on earth to be saved by poetry? <laughs> and I thought the big meat-headed footy bloody brute from Cronulla that I grew up with. What ha- what would happen if this this old bastard was in the middle of his life and he's about to stuff it up and poetry came in and said, mate, come with me and I'll help you. Yeah. And I thought there's a wacky yet really powerful idea and it suddenly it just started pouring out. But I was very, very disciplined because I was going downhill um, I got up at 8 o'clock. I did a boxing class online. Then I worked from 9 till 6 every day for four or five months and I mapped out this story probably for two or three of the months and then I wrote it very quickly um, over eight weeks um, and I just had to. And Peter Lum came to life and he held my hand and we kind of he kind of rescued me and I kind of helped him rescue himself. Um, and I know this all sounds a bit whatever, but that's what happened. Yeah. And that's what creativity and connection can do. And that's what Peter Lum learns is that connect with yourself, your creativity and others, and suddenly you won't be so afraid, mm. you know. That's that stumbling block that the Australian male has, isn't it? It's taking that step to go and to be vulnerable because we don't, we're bulletproof. You know, that's that the way we've been brought up is that we're bulletproof. We don't go to the doctor. We don't do. We don't talk about feelings and all that sort of stuff. That's that. That's that bridge too far for for the Aussie male of my generation. Absolutely, and my mother is a nurse, and she won't go to the doctor. Oh, you know what I mean? It's not just it's not just men. You know, and I've dated a number of women that have. You know, my ex-girlfriend's grandmother's funeral today to try trying to get her to admit that it's a big deal, you know. It's like it's okay. Just just tell me how you're feeling. This is massive. Like I'm here for you. Have a cry. You know, and it's there's something in us that goes, no, no, it's all good. Yep, getting on. Yep, yep, getting on with it. <laughs> and then, you know, we'll cry watching X Factor or we'll cry having 10 beers at the footy <laughs> when they kick it from the sideline, you know. And we pent it up and that's where the violence comes out. You know, that's where the self-destruction comes out is because of bubbles and then it spills over. And sometimes you leave things too late. And this book is about a man who suffered a lot of concussions on the field, but as he starts to reveal, you know, later in the book, which I won't say too much about, he sees that concussions are also things that happen in a life where you ignore an emotional situation and you leave it behind and you mistreat it, that also concusses you. Um, so there's concussions on the field and off. Yeah. Which are the bigger ones, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a massive, uh, that, that particular issue is a massive issue in sport at the moment and something that obviously 
the code you love uh, and the code I love in AFL are going to have to deal with that as ongoing. That's going to that, that's causing enormous health problems. Cronulla, the, you, you said you you grew up barracking for the Sharks, and I love the way in the book you keep going. No, it's it's league. It's it's stop calling it rugby. <laughs> Melbourne, Melbourne people and non-rugby rugby league people call it rugby as if that's what it is. And you just go, oh, no, mate, it's oh. league. League's league and union's union, you know. And never and the twain shall meet. <laughs> oh, and now it hurts me. And sometimes I'm thinking this is a short interview or this lady's really lovely and they she goes, so why rugby? And I just <laughs> go, do I bother? Like, and I have to take a deep breath and push on, you know, because... <laughs> You know, it's like when you love your team and you love your code, you know, these, these kind of things cut deep, um, you know, and and there is a fierce rivalry between AFL and, and Rugby League and, and Melbourne and Sydney and all that stuff. But in the end, it's all healthy, really, and, and we all kind of respect each other. And, yeah, both, both codes are having to deal with this massive issue of concussion and it's becoming legal now. But the greatest step, like what we're talking about, is, you know, admitting that it is an issue and that's, you know, in the Pete alumnus of it all, um, there's some great clubs, especially the like the Sydney Roosters last year, they um, they benched four players throughout their season. They went, no, no, we want to check how their heads are. And mm. Ryan Pappenhausen from Melbourne Storm, yeah. you know, he spent a large part of the season off to protect his noggin because, Kevin, what's more important, you know, getting to the semis or maybe remembering your kids' names when you're 35, you know, yeah. and and it's like, come on, guys, I know we're Australian. I know we need to win the grand final because, you know, it, it makes life better, but it is still a game and life and health, uh, family, all those sort of things are a little bit more important. So sometimes we have to get our um, our priorities in order. But, yeah, I, I'm a Sharks fan um, through and through. I grew up there. I, I played, you know, for De La Salle and was coached by the Sharks players. And, yeah, I'm about to deliver 20 books down to the Sharks next week, sign books to the staff. So that's pretty exciting. Beautiful. You know, I was a very working class boy and and so the league and the union disparity was that the private school wankers, for want of a better <laughs> word, you know, the private school boys Played rugby union, got driven um, to the field by their dad in the BMWs. You know what I mean? And um, then they went out on their on their yachts after the game. Whereas you know we kind of got the train and or and had oranges at halftime and played a real tough game of of, of sport. So that's that's kind of where the why we kind of cringe at the rugby and the and the league. I think there's that working class um, point to it. You, you mentioned, uh, and I've seen this in a couple of interviews too, where you said poetry saved your life as a young man. Uh, you used it as a defence mechanism when you were a kid. Is that is that right? Is sort of to get you out of situations or to reflect on situations when you're at school and stuff? Yeah, I'd say it was more that. Like I wouldn't just break out into a poem as I was about <laughs> to be bullied or something, though I reckon that would be um, like Eminem or something. That that would be cool, <laughs> but I think that would have got me into more trouble. Yeah. Um, no, I just remember... You know, when I finally started writing plays when I was 21, my mother kind of said, you've been writing your whole life. You know, I didn't think I could be a writer. I didn't think I was smart enough. I thought you had to be really intellectual and stuff. And and then I realised you just need a voice, you know, and, and I had a voice. And 
And then she said, look at the hundred books of poetry you've got, you know, and I was reading them out all the time. I was writing poems since I was nine or 10 and they just kind of made sense of my mad head. And I would write poems about teachers and, and birds and nature and whatever was going on. And it, and, and it helped me be less alone, I guess, because I had fluctuating periods of schooling, which a lot of people would, you know, where it was very hard for me in terms of finding friends. And then I was in TV commercials and I was in the plays. And so I got quite harassed at periods and, you know, in my early teens, you know, had some very dark thoughts and was very scared. And, but I didn't help myself because I kept getting up at assembly and reciting a poem. (laughs) You know, I didn't like shut up, you know, I just, I was like, this is me. And I, you know, I, I would get up and, and be quite flamboyant or I would, you know, do an ABBA song. Um, at, at the end of school, you know, in a dress. And I, 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 it was my own worst enemy. Um, but poetry made sense of the world. Poetry helped me. I loved it. The, the obvious question for me with my background in radio as a, as a music radio presenter is why, why didn't music kind of become a channel for you or did it and we don't, I don't know about it? Oh, I always play music. I'm just not very good. You know, okay. um, you know, I, I, I am a frustrated musician. I'm a music head. Um, you know, I think you can say I've got my bass guitar all oh, set right. up there. I've got all the harmonicas over here. It just doesn't sound very good when I play <laughs> it, you know. Um, I'm a talented writer and actor and I'm okay with that, um, which is another thing Australians aren't okay with is, is admitting they're good at something because it means you're, you're up yourself. But, no, I'm quite good at writing and acting. But it stops there. And with music, you know, it just it never came out right. I've got all the passion. I just lack the talent. It was the same with rugby league and cricket. Like I thought I could have gone all the way, but a little bit of talent and probably some toughness lacked there. But I've got the toughness in in, in my writing. You know, I'll go all the way here. Um, and I think we have done that with, with Plum. Yeah. I mean, the book's... A nice big thick book. Uh, I'm told a screenplay these days is about a hundred pages. Is the is the screenplay for this one done? <laughs> no, I mean people are only starting to connect with the novel, and uh, the word of mouth is starting to get around and really starting to build. And I wrote this book to be a book to be read. Uh, the the audio book is also available, um, which is getting amazing responses. I read out all the car- I read the audio book, and so you'll hear me do. Charles Bukowski and all the blokes at the pub. And, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're not a reader, it doesn't mean you can't consume it. You can, um, sorry about that. You can um, get the uh, audio book and listen to it in the car or at work if you want. So uh, I think it could be a great TV show or a big movie, absolutely. Yeah. But um, I just want to revel in, in, in the fact that people are reading it because that's what's really exciting for me, seeing it in a bookshop or seeing somebody reading it at the beach the other day was just like, wow, it's real. Yeah. yeah. What character do you want to play in, the, in, in it? Do you want to play? In the to, TV show. Yeah, do you want to play Plum? Well, who do you want to play, Kevin? That's what I'm at. I reckon I want to play I'm Trent. Angler. Oh, I want to be Trent. Oh, yes. Well, he has quite the change. Yeah. I reckon. Uh, I reckon that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm 45 now, so whether I can play Peter Lum or not, who's 49, I don't know. There was someone, you know, one of the companies that were interested thought I should, but you know, in my head, he looks more like Gavin Miller, the great Sharks player. But I hope it gets made into a TV show. It'd be wonderful, you, but definitely not have, why I wrote it. 
you don't have Gavin Miller's nose. Gavin Miller's nose actually goes all across his face. Yeah, exactly. I've had six. See, my cartilage is broken. I've had six breaks. This is good radio. Um, (laughs) I've had six breaks from because I did a lot of boxing and I was a fullback um, when I played rugby league. But, yeah, I'd have to really smear it and get the cauliflower ears uh, going. But that's all possible in hair and makeup. So what are you working on at the moment? I'm about to start acting in a TV show actually in Sydney. I was going to head back to London. I've been living in London in the part for the past six years, mm. um, and but uh, and back and forth to New Zealand shooting Avatar, the Avatar sequels. Uh, but I'm about to star in a in a show called The Twelve uh, for Foxtel and Warner Brothers, which is based on a German show, The Twelve, um, about a jury. And it follows oh, the lives of a jury. Yep, that was it was showing on Netflix or something about uh, or eighteen months, two years ago, maybe. Yes, yes. So we're making an Australian version of that, and oh, wow. I'm playing another another dodgy bastard to to add to the long line of dodgy <laughs> bastards that I've played <laughs> in Australian television. Um, I'm waiting for my part where I, you know, wear a suit and I walk in the beautiful doors, and there's women waiting to welcome me, and I have a, a glass of wine and sit down, and people are always oh, here, but I don't seem to get that. Role. I seem to be on pirate ships with blokes or at the TAB. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll add that to the lexicon. And I'm writing uh, an, a television show for Amazon um, that was based on an experience I had in New Zealand. Um, so Amazon picked up a little TV comedy that I uh, came up with. So, yeah, I've got a couple of things on the boil and I've got a new book in my head that I'd love to do with HarperCollins. So, um, yeah, but just enjoying talking about plum with blokes like yourself at the moment. I like the way you dropped Avatar in as just like, you know, something that a walk down the shops, <laughs> you know, just a little walk down the shops, this Avatar thing with this James Cameron bloke. Now, I'm just, I've, I've just been doing a little bit of that too. Yeah, well, J- James and I like to call it our, you know, to call it a, the, the small independent New Zealand film that we're working on, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, that's been incredible. I mean, who knew? That a, little, a bloke from Cronulla with my head could end up, you know, in this action adventure movie with probably the greatest living director. Um, mm. So, absolutely had to pinch myself a lot uh, when I was on, on the set over the last couple of years. Yeah, in well, shooting in Wellington. So that'll be out next Christmas. Oh, Christmas twenty two, and that'll be a feast for the eyes. You know, he's he's such a master of the art. So. It's it's been a very amazing experience. Well, plums are feast for uh, for the eyes as well because it's a, it's a really good read. It's a it's a rollicking little tale that is you know it captures blokes like me and what and what we're all about and what the Aussies about and where we need where the Gavins of the world will now take us to with the next part of our life. I reckon is the really is the really nice thing about this book as well. Yeah, and Gavin Gavin, you know, for the listeners, is is his sixteen year old son, and his sixteen year old son wants to follow in his footsteps and he wants to be in a, a, a first-grade footy player and he's got it. He's gifted, you know, and he's already gone up a grade and he's playing jersey flag and and this kid isn't tortured like a lot of teenagers mm. on television. He's, he's not into video games. He never got into marijuana. He loves fitness and so does his girlfriend. He's a positive kid and and him and his girlfriend, who was 16, seemed to be able to navigate their relationship better than his dad ever has. So he's kind of teaches his dad a few things in the art of 
just silence and forgiveness and letting things heal and not running from your problems. But Plum's situation is that he suddenly sees his son playing a very, very intense contact sport. He forgets that that was the sport that gave him the life that he just had because he doesn't care about his own body and brain. Well, not until later in the book, but he looks at his son and goes, I'm not sure about this because he suddenly knows the dangers and that's one of the conflicts for Peter Lum, the toughest player ever to play the game, suddenly wondering if he wants his son to play it. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Well done, Brennan. Uh, lovely to talk to you, mate. Thank you so much for your time and uh, uh, good yeah. luck uh, Good luck with Avatar and uh, and the couple of new TV shows. They sound very exciting. Thank you, Kevin. Pleasure. Uh, it was a good chat with Brendan. It's a very good read, is Plum. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Over the holiday period, uh, you won't find a better book to be able to pick up, grab and get lost in uh, over the uh, over the summer holidays. Now, speaking of holidays, of course, CSCG uh, will be having uh, their little break over the Christmas New Year period. Check out the website, all the details of when they're open and closed at cscg.com.au or give them a call on double nine seven four eight triple three. That's the number. Give them a buzz and have a chat. They'd uh, love to have a talk to you about that. And they'd also like to wish you and your family and your friends and everybody all the very best for Christmas and the new year, as we wish to everyone at CSCG. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Authorised Podcast. If you're walking around over Christmas and you've got your headphones on, make sure you uh, check out some of the earlier editions of this podcast with some of the great names we've had uh, having a chat to us about uh, their publications, their books, some really good authors that you can catch up on on the Authorised Podcast. Thanks to CSCG. I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care of yourself.